The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 360 premium for today being Tuesday, October 25th, 2011. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. And of course, this is one of our premium shows. So thank you for being a premium subscriber, John, and I really appreciate it. And of course, I mentioned John and that's you. Right. You, John F. Braun. Mm -hmm. Me? What about me? (laughs) Hi. Of course, I'm Dave Hamilton. That's John F. Braun. He's in Mm -hmm. Fairfield, Connecticut, as he always is. Oh, at the moment. At the moment. That's right. And uh, and we have a totally packed premium show today. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to try and get through everything, which which, yes, folks, uh, and we talked about this in the pre-show here, I, I realize means that, uh, you know, I, I I'm the one that usually babbles and I can't go on and on and on. Right. That, that's the- <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try to keep Dave focused here because, yeah, we know how. <laughs> You know, he pontificates and just goes off on these tangents. So, so I'm, I'm going to try to steer the show in the right direction here. <laughs> awesome. All right. Let's uh, uh, that'll be uh, that'll be interesting. OK, so let's start with uh, with Mike here. And Mike says, I have a 2010 MacBook Pro running Lion. Uh, I use a program called MacWise to connect to our ERP system at work. When using my terminal emulator, I frequently need to use the insert key. This is not a problem when I have my laptop at my desk, which is connected to an extended keyboard. But when I'm on the go, I have no insert key, which limits what I can do in my ERP. I have routed through the keyboard preferences and my system preferences, but cannot find a place where I can assign the insert function to an F key or any other key. Is there a way to get this done? And uh, and I think, I, yeah, I think your best bet there, Mike, is going to be, is, as we recommend with many people who need to assign keys to different uh, tasks, is to use something like Keyboard Maestro. I, I think that's going to do it for you. Uh, it's it's available. It's not free. I think it's uh, 30, 30 bucks, 36 bucks, I think, uh, at KeyboardMaestro.com. But but there's certainly a trial available. And I, I think that's going to do it for you. I think that's the uh, that's the trick. Do you have any other any other keyboard uh, mapping? Uh, I, I know we've talked about some other ones. Maybe you might even have a free one in mind, John. Do you or 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 not? I have a few today. Uh, so I have a couple of things I'm going to mention. Okay. And we're going to blast right through this. So there is a, a utility called Ukulele. Oh, okay. Because we all love ukuleles, and that is a Mac OS X keyboard layout editor. I think that may be worth investigating. Yep. So that's one thing, and another thing is it. But it really should be, I think, yeah, it should be a function of the terminal emulator. And I did come across something called iTerm, or actually now it's iTerm 2. Okay. Um, I didn't look in detail to see if it had a Weiss emulation. And and if there's a, it does have a keyboard mapping option within it. So if we can do a Weiss terminal and all that, so we'll, uh, I'll link to both of those. But I think those are, uh, because they're both. Well, ukulele, I believe, is free. Uh, iTerm 2, I think uh, it, it evolved from iTerm, and I, th- I think they suggest a, a donation. So between those three options, one of them hopefully works. Cool. All right. And then we have a, a tip and a question from Ralph. So Ralph, actually, his tip started with a question. He, he says, uh, I've been having some issues lately with the ambient sensor on my 2009 MacBook Pro 15-inch. We also had it set in system preferences to automatically adjust and never had issues with it. Now, for some reason, I have to manually adjust it and it won't automatically adjust anymore. This occurred in Snow Leopard and and still going since I upgraded to Lion, so I don't think it's an issue with the upgrade. Have you heard of bugs or issues with the ambient light sensor? And it was interesting. We went through a couple of things via email and essentially deduced, uh, you know, as much as we could that, oh, yeah, you know, it looks like it's a hardware problem. He took it into the Genius Bar and here is where the tip comes in. The Genius Bar reset the PRAM on the Mac, which is done by holding down command and option and P and R while you uh, reboot. Hold that down. Hear the startup chime. Keep it down until you hear the startup chime again. Uh, and that will reset the PRAM. And sure enough, that solved the problem. It's a good reminder for all of us that resetting the PRAM is a 
way to solve what may appear to be uh, otherwise hardware problems. Yes, the PRAM is sort of, you know, in that bridge layer between hardware and software, right? I mean, that's, you know, in a, in a very top level sense. Would you agree, John? I agree in that the PRAM stores the settings for a lot of pieces of hardware. And if it gets corrupted, which it may over time, then yeah. yes, uh, you're, you're, it may appear to be a hardware problem, but clearing the, and I guess, yeah, it resets it to, uh, so you, so you may have to reset some things because I think doing that may reset your time zone and, uh, some things like that. Yeah. So if you reset the PRAM, don't be surprised if, uh, volume you know, settings and things like that get right volume yes yeah, so i mean well, once you reset the pram you may want to go through your uh, system preferences and uh just make sure they're all uh what you expect them to be right right all right cool and then ralph's uh question for us today is i've been having some issues when doing video calls with my mom she has my old 17 inch uh imac with an Intel chip. It's almost six years old now. I have a late 2008 uh, 15 inch MacBook Pro. When we connect, we get a lot of pixel blocks on the screen and some frozen images. This happens in both iChat and Skype, although Skype seems to be worse. She's running Snow Leopard and I'm running Lion, although the problem was there when we were both on Snow Leopard. I did have her reset her PRAM because, of course, he's the one that told us about this. Uh, and let me tell you uh, what fun that was talking her through on the phone. Uh, anyway, it seemed a little better in iChat, but Skype still had the frozen screen. I'm looking for other ideas to check out that might be causing the issues, whether it's her dated iMac and a hardware issue or possibly a network problem with her ISP. I would appreciate any tips you can offer to clear up the picture quality. So, yeah. So here's here's the issue is that and I see this quite a bit. Uh, when Skyping with folks on older Macs and, and even older Windows machines, uh, when you are doing a video chat with someone, your computer is busy doing, well, four things really, but from the video side, which is the, uh, the, the more complex side, it's taking your video image and compressing it down uh, into some stream that can be sent over uh, the internet. And, and then, what it's also doing is it's taking what's being sent to it and decompressing that to display the video image for you and Skype. And I believe iChat does this too, but Skype certainly does some on the fly uh, uh, negotiations. So you'll get halfway into a chat and then, you know, one Skype client might say, might say, uh, you know, my CPU usage is, is way over the top. Uh, I need you to, you know, ratchet down your, your uh, your frame rate or your resolution or both. So you might start at 640 by 480 and then very quickly you go to, you know, 320 by 240 resolution. And then sometimes it even gets worse than that. And that will make things appear pixelated. It also freezes the video. Skype does freeze the video while that change is taking place. You'll still hear audio, uh, but the video will freeze and then become more pixelated or it may freeze and then get better as uh, as it's looking at, you know, Skype's looking at a lot of things. But but I think in your case, it's a CPU issue on your mom's side. Uh, now, it could also be a CPU issue on your side if you happen to be running something like, say, handbrake or you know something else very CPU intensive in the background at the same time that you're trying to do a Skype chat. So I, I don't think there's any magic answer. Uh, Skype tries to do it all itself. There are no user configurable settings where you can set the maximum of say, Hey, look, you know, I know we're not going to get any better than 10 frames a second at 320 by 240. So just start there and, and don't, you know, don't, don't tax my system any worse than you need to. Um, but I, I think that's it. Do you have any, do you have any other? And, and so unfortunately my answer for you is it's not going to get any better. Um, if you find, if you find that you're having better luck with iChat for whatever reason, well then, that's the right answer for you. Um, but, but that's likely why I've seen that quite a bit, but John, you, you have any thoughts on this one? Yes. So I would agree that Ralph, I think uh, touched on the two things it could be. I think it would either be what, what we would call processor bound or network bound problem here. Yep. And, and I think your, your direction, which I, 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 I would agree is that there's, there's too much of a disparity between the, video capabilities of the machines and that it's trying to negotiate the best, but it, it, it's not getting it quite right. right. Or just one machine to, to be frank is, is, is too wimpy. Um, the only other thing is that it could be, uh, cause you're going to see this if you, if you don't have enough bandwidth, 
Now, I don't know if it's a right. bandwidth problem, if, if one or the other person is on a particularly slow connection, but that's what I've noticed is when you will see, no matter what type of video you're doing, is when you're going to see it start pixelating and dropping out and things like that, is if you don't have enough bandwidth. Now, the only thing that occurs to me is that we've seen this sometimes, even when we're doing Skype, you and I, Dave, just for audio, is sometimes if Skype picks too many relays, I think sometimes when it's setting up a connection, sometimes it'll bounce through other Skype clients on the network to try to route the traffic. And if you've got too many relays or too many intermediate points between you and the other person, then this may also happen. You and I have seen this sometimes where we have a call and it just the, the audio is terrible and it never gets better. And sometimes we just have to reestablish it. So so that I think is, is specific to Skype, though. But you can bring up the, uh, I think, technical call info window, and that'll show you the number of relays that have been that, that are on, in your connection. And if that's too high, then I think you may also run into this. That, that's a good point. Yeah, Skype does have a couple of things, um, and it's usually in the window menu. Uh, you may have to set it in Skype preferences. If you go to Skype preferences and advanced, uh, check the display technical call information box, and then go to the window menu and bring up technical call info. And it'll be a lot of mumbo jumbo uh, that's that's probably uh, stuff you don't care about. But like John said, looking at, looking at several things, uh, the round trip should be low. Uh, if you're chatting with someone in the U S that should be probably a hundred milliseconds or less. And, uh, and then you can also see, you can actually watch it changing the video resolution and frame rate, both for the sender and the receiver right there in that window. Uh, so again, probably geekier than your mom wants to look at, but you can look at it on your end and see what's happening and, and try and get a feel for it. Um, and packet loss is, is a big one there. Uh, if you, in the technical call info, if that's, you know, anywhere, probably even more than one or 2%, you've got a problem. It should be zero for John and I, right now, we've been on this call for 40 minutes because we did a little pre-show and we have lost 0% of our packets, uh, with a total count of eight, which is, uh, which is where it should be. So, and you know, that leads me, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to have to break break my rules and go off on a tangent. <laughs> oh, okay. But no, what you may also want to do for both people. So, so there are two tools that I really like to use. So one okay. speedtest.net and that'll yep. show you your bandwidth, but there's another one. Is it ping test? I That's think right. it's ping test and ping test. I think is more a reliability tool than a bandwidth tool. And that'll show you if your connection is losing data so the skype window will show that too but pingtest.net uh, is a, a good general tool to look at the quality of your connection and if your quality or connection is bad um pingtest.net will will indicate that yep oh, one last uh, thing it, it, we're talking about tools to to check this out if you go uh if you want to see if it's the processor the easy way to do that is to open up activity monitor and look at the cpu usage Right there at the bottom of Activity Monitor, you can choose CPU. And if it's sitting at 100%, if those blocks are full, uh, then you know that you've got a problem and you're using all your CPU. And you could probably even see that it's Skype using it. And if that's the case, well, now you know the answer. All right, Mark. Mark is up next. And Mark writes, you guys helped me to decide to install an SSD, a WinTech Express card, 96 gig drive, uh, along with my mechanical drive on my Core 2 Duo MacBook Pro. My OS is on the Express Card drive with 25 gigs free. My mechanical drive has uh, is a 500 gig drive with 130 gigs free. Now, I haven't tested it formally. My impression is that the overall performance has dropped. I wonder whether this may be part uh, partly related to the lack of trim support, as John had mentioned on the latest show. John also mentioned a possible solution that is enabling trim, enabling trim support via kernel hack. However, I noticed an article that claims erasing free disk space via disk utility every month or so is an equivalent move. Uh, OK, so before we dive into trim and I and I know John is is uh, is ready to dive into uh, to talking about that. I, the first thing I would do is test the speed of the drive itself use something like drive genius or 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 really any benchmarking utility that's just going to write data to and read data from the drive and make sure that you're seeing something that approximates what you expect to see for the ssd we've talked about it here a little bit before but you know ssds mechanical drives in a general sense uh slower laptop ones are going to do you know 30 maybe 40 megabytes a second a faster laptop drive is going to do anywhere from, you know, 50, maybe even to a, or a faster drive in a general sense is going to do 50 to maybe a hundred 
uh, an SSD should be up, you know, near a hundred and maybe even higher. So if you're running this SSD and you see that it's doing 30, well, then you're right. It is a slow SSD and uh, not all SSDs are created equal. So that's the first place I'd check. If that's the case and it's working all right, then we move to step two, which is checking out trim. But maybe not, as Mr. Braun's going to tell us. So what's trim, you may ask? And what is trim? Trim is a operating system command that'll tell a drive to scrub the problem with ssds uh, uh, at least a lot of them is that once you've written to some space that the cells are considered dirty and the problem is if you try to write to them again and they're still dirty and that they still have data from before instead of being cleansed then instead of just doing a write operation, you're going to do a read operation, then an erase operation, and a write operation. That's going to slow you down. Trim tries to eliminate that, but trim is not the only thing. Now, as far as I can tell, this particular drive, I do not believe... Well, the problem right now is that Mac OS X Lion does not support trim for, unless you do a hack, uh, for drives that are non-Apple drives. So that's one piece of bad news. Uh, but, but, the other, but the piece of good news is that a lot of drives, like, like I believe the one that or no, not the one that, not the WinTech, but some other drives um, do support background garbage collection, shall we call it. And they basically do what Trim does, but they, they do it without the operating system telling it to. And and actually, I've, I've been, you know, dealing with the, the folks at Samsung lately. And uh, actually, some of the testing I've been doing uh, would lead me to believe that Trim may not absolutely be necessary because I've been seeing some pretty good performance. And right now I'm, I'm testing a drive and I disable Trim. Okay. And I've been seeing some pretty good speeds, and I filled the drive up. So I actually got to the point where I've been warned, where OS X will, will say, hey, by the way, you know, you're, you only got a couple of megabytes left. You better clear some space here, or else I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crash on you or something. Uh, but they warn you, so I'm, I'm convinced that my drive does have cells that, that have not been cleaned up, at least by the trim command, because I disabled it. But sure. it has gotten cleaned up, I think. Uh, I think the drive manufacturers are getting better, and I've seen more and more of them leaning towards doing this cleanup on their own rather than counting on the operating system doing it. Cool. All right. Well, so uh, so check the speed of the drive, I guess, is the uh, is the, the, the lesson here and. Do you know? Yeah, and if I re- if I recall, theirs is, uh, and we have one of the older ones, Dave. I think you and I, the forty eight uh, gigabyte one, and I, That's right. I believe. I mean, there's, uh, it is an SSD, but I, I don't believe that this, uh, at least the one you and I have. I, I don't think it's at the, the, like I don't think either of the speeds uh, go beyond hundred megabytes per second, which to no, me is. I remember that WinTech being, but I remember it being faster than a than a laptop, you know, a, t- a traditional laptop drive. Oh, sure, I remember, sure. I remember it being up, you know, close to 100, 70, 80, 90. But, but I, and it may have peaked over it, but it wasn't, you know, blasting at 150 or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, John, a, a tip that actually listener Rob sent in for you, but, uh, but it is good advice. And so oh, we will share it with everyone. Rob writes, John, you know that 1Password has a function that allows you to store notes within a record. In reality, things like PDFs and screenshots, I use Snagit, and, uh, and even apps and other code can be stored in the note field. It's a drag and drop process. I'll sometimes drop a copy of an email receipt for a product in the note field, so I have it at hand if something goes wrong later. The extended warranty for my Kindle, for example, lives as a scan of the document inside the note field in 1Password. Of course, this means you can take your email copies of receipts and serials and dump them into 1Password without having to type in everything. So that's pretty good. Thanks, Rob. That's that's actually really valuable and uh, and feeds into our next uh, question a little bit here because Wesson writes. I'd like to move to iCloud, but I've found no replacement for mobile me's syncing of my keychains between my iMac, my MacBook Air and my Mac Mini, which uh, the latter of which is on Snow Leopard's server. Are you aware of any other way to keep the keychains in sync? Someone on Tidbits suggested putting the keychains uh, in Dropbox and creating a hard link to it on the various machines. Would this work? I did some perusing of uh, Apple's discussion forums as well as some other places. And yes, you can uh, sync keychains with Dropbox is what people say. And, and, it, and it'll work. But, you know, the thing is, unless the app is 
either closed, it's only open in one place, which is the case with something like Yojimbo, where the app is actually smart enough to say, hey, I think Yojimbo is open on another machine, and you know, with accessing this shared Dropbox library. So you got to go quit that one before I'll launch, or you'll let me launch, but you know, I don't make any guarantees. If apps aren't written with the ability to resolve conflicts, and this is not something that's like magic inside Dropbox. Uh, then you might wind up with data corruption where, you know, one app, if the app doesn't realize that it, you know, multiple copies are writing to the same data file, you might have a problem. So, uh, so I would be very wary of doing this with keychain, but it stinks because syncing keychains is awesome. And, uh, and that's why I put the one password question right before this, because one password is the answer uh, for most of your keychain uh, related stuff. It's not a system wide thing, but it is mostly a browser wide thing. And for the most part, that's where those keychain uh, pa- stored passwords matter. You can sync one password via Dropbox. It is uh, smart enough to do this. It is built to do it. It is built to resolve conflicts that it finds. And and so all of that uh, works very, very well. And And that's actually what I do. And I've never looked back. The cool part is uh, you can sync it to Dropbox, of course, with all of your Macs. It doesn't matter if you're on Lion or Snow Leopard. And you can also sync that same 1Password database to all your iOS devices uh, via Dropbox. And, and it works really, really well. So it's, it's sort of a, a pre-iCloud uh, syncing thing. But, uh, but there you go. So are you going to switch to, uh, to Dropbox there, John? Someday, I think. All right, not to Dropbox. I know you use Dropbox. I meant 1Password. Yeah. <laughs> Someday. You know, the, the, the head scratcher I have here, though, Dave, is so the keychains are in, let me see, I think it's system library keychains. Right. And I'm wondering if a keychain is a, is it a package? I think it may be. Oh. Here we go, keychains. I'm looking right now, so let me get I thought it was just a database. Uh, well, let's see if I right click on it. Uh, okay. No, it doesn't seem to be a package, so... Yeah, I think it's just its own. So maybe database. a single file. So, you know, maybe okay, because uh, yeah. we talked about this in the past and the thing that, that uh, is not good to do with Dropbox. I remember talking about this and I abandoned it and just let people know, but it was trying to do a sparse image mm. syncing with, with Dropbox. And that is is definitely not recommended. Not cool. Because you have these bands and the problem is when Dropbox detects a, uh, a conflict, it tries to resolve it. And as far as I can see, it does not do it properly. For or I don't I I just don't think they support well it sparse image files or banded files it didn't we don't know if it I, I don't I, maybe you do know if it does now uh, well when I tried it yeah it, it, yeah, it screwed everything up yeah six or eight months ago I remember it. yeah 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 um, and we will come back to the iCloud stuff we've actually got a couple more iCloud questions a little bit later but uh, sticking with the Mac stuff and and the, those iCloud questions are within the iOS realm sort of. Uh, Sticking with the Mac, though, for now, uh, Carl and many of you actually have written in uh, asking about this, but uh, but Carl's question sort of sort of pulls it all together. Hi, John and Dave. This is Carl from Antwerp in Europe again. I bought a new MacBook Pro in June with Snow Leopard installed. I recently upgraded to Lion and I'm now fighting the usual issues. Does it have any advantage to erase my machine totally? Then reinstall Lion from the disk image on a USB stick or via T mode and re import my data from my super duper disk via migration assistant. Or am I then importing all the craft as well? Thanks a lot. Bye. All right. Uh, yeah. So, and, and, and the question that was asked by, by many of you was, was basically the, when are we going to be at the point where you guys recommend that an upgrade from, you know, a, a traditional upgrade from Snow Leopard to Lion is an acceptable move? And unfortunately, I don't think that day is ever going to come. Uh, I, I have I think it works for some of you. And, it, and when it does, of course, it's awesome. When it really works well is if you have a pristine Snow Leopard install and just install Lion on top of it. That seems to work just fine. There is so much uh, different, I guess, about Lion that, the, the, you know, every machine that I've done an upgrade on and cer- certainly countless of you 
have, uh, have you folks have written in saying that, uh, you know, you've had these problems. It, it just doesn't work. So the, the solution, and you can do this after the fact in, in Carl's situation, or you can plan to do it up front. Uh, but I finally had to give up on my iMac at the house. Uh, I figured, you know, eventually I'll find all the needles in the haystack and, and I'll make lion work. And it got to the point where, you know, for maybe 20 seconds out of every three minutes, I couldn't use the finder. It would just sit in beach ball and the whole machine would lock up. And I finally gave up. So I did a super duper clone. I wiped the drive. I used the recovery partition. So I restarted. I held down the R key. Uh, I let Lion, you know, boot up. I went into disk utility and I used, actually, I didn't even use super duper. I used disk utility to clone uh, my hard drive onto another drive. So I had a clone of it. And then I used disk utility to wipe out my internal drive. I went back out. I let Lion download and install the latest 10.7.2, which it does. And, uh, and, and then when it came back up, it said, do you want to use migration assistant? I said, yeah, I pulled it all in with migration assistant. The machine looks exactly the same, but it actually works now. So to answer your question, Carl, at least in my experience, and I've done this on two machines now, the migration assistant, whatever it pulls in is not the cruft that, that, uh, that was causing my issues. And I think, I think, so that's the, that's the path I would recommend for everyone, uh, it, it gets you to where you want to be and it gives you that effective upgrade, but uh, you're going to, you know, you're going to run the risk of pulling a, a significant risk of just pulling in too much crap. If you, uh, if you just do the standard upgrade, which, which stinks. Uh, it's really kind of a flop on Apple's part, if you ask me, but, uh, but it is what it is. It's, you know, it's, it is the, the, the place where we live now. So I, I, you, you have one machine still on snow leopard, John, is that right? I do, because I, I think I answer this question a little differently, but right now the, the one utility that I use that is not quite 100% Lion compatible is Wiretap Studio. Ah, which creates the backup recording, or at least we hope it's the backup recording for this show. And uh, Well, I've used it, yeah. Well, I've I, used it for other, other sure. shows I've been on as well, and actually have done a little uh, little production. It, it's, it's kind of fun. Yeah. Um... But yeah, now how did I find out that this, uh, you know, was not compatible? And uh, if you go to roaringapps.com. Mm-hmm. So I took a different spin on this is that, you know, I still see some apps that are not entirely Lion compatible, and this is one of them. So that's why I'm hesitant to upgrade this machine. Um, but as I think you mentioned, they did release, you know, uh, the, this migration assistant update for, for Leopard. They did. Or, uh, for, for Leopard, uh, Apple upgrades migration assistant for Leopard to Lion compatibility. You don't remember them doing that? Uh-uh. Hmm. Do you have, a, you have a link for us that you'll put in the show notes? Sure. And I'm wondering if that was the cause of some people's woes. Well, why would, what are you, what are you, what are you driving at, John? <laughs> what was the woe? What I'm driving do, at is that there was an upgrade to migration assistant to enable you to pull data, data over. From, from leopard, snow leopard. Okay. Right, but but. Uh, okay, I'm confused. The the issue isn't when migration assistant has always worked really well for people. It's the issue when you do the upgrade without using migration assistant, just right on top, that it causes all these issues. Right? If you if you go to the app store and you download lion onto your you know the lion installer from the app store and just do the install that doesn't use migration assistant right that uses that just installs on top of it right that's, i'm sorry that's what creates all the problems right right <clears throat> okay no when i'm pointing out no they they had an update that said this update addresses an issue with migration assistant application in snow leopard that prevents transfer of data to a new mac running lion got it Okay. So I think he mentioned that scenario, and all I'm all I'm saying is that hmm. there there is an update that you may want to make to reduce hiccups if you're going to be taking this. If you're going to take path. this path, absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. Now the other thing I noticed is that you know they, I mean, it is up to ten point seven point two. So I don't know if it, you know, I mean, you, you would imagine that they've gotten rid of most of the showstoppers, but you, you still. would well, I, I, again, I think Apple is looking at. I, I don't know what they're looking at, but I I was running. I thought ten seven two was the magic for me. You know, I thought, oh great, finally. So I put ten seven two on my iMac at home, and it didn't act any different. It was the same thing. It felt like a mm. Windows machine. It really did. Ah! It, no, it reminded me 
of the old days when I would, you know, work on people's windows machines and I'd get to their house and they would just be, no one touched the machine. I noticed that the kids were like, can I borrow your computer? Can I borrow yours? I'm like, why is no one using this one? What's going on? And then it hit me. It was like, Oh, because it's a painful experience. And we shy away from that, you know? And, and that it, it really was, it was like, you know, a windows machine loaded with spyware, but my problem wasn't spyware on the Mac. It was just, you know, something else that was causing that same sort of thing where it was just, it would just stop responding, you know, and you just wait. Eventually it'd come around sometimes uh, moving. And, and this actually I got from from Michael, a, a, a geek cab listener here. Sometimes using the, the volume up and down keys would unstick it from its frozen state, which is pretty, you know, foobar. If you ask me that that works, but whatever um, that those problems are behind me now ever since my uh, my wipe and reinstall. All right. All right. Uh, let's go to Michael and his, uh, his email questions here. Oh, where is he? I'll find him. Michael Wright, speaking of snow leopard to lion upgrade issues, he says, uh, I recently updated my, uh, mail app to use the IMAP protocol. Everything seemed to go smoothly at first. Now the two accounts I did it for cannot send. I receive mail just fine, but mail app will not send mail from my two business domains. I have included the mail setup, which of course he put in a, as a, a screenshot and the, the, the illustrious Mr. Braun here included those screenshots in the email, which was fantastic. Well, uh, you know how I did that? It was a tip we got, Dave. A go. I have to interrupt you, but you know, uh, it was, uh, oh, I don't remember who told us how to do this, but you know, there's this wonderful feature in mail, Dave. Okay. And let me find it. All right. Uh, where is it? Oh, gosh. Mail composing something? Could be, but basically there's an item that is normally unchecked where if you check it, it will include images in replies. Ah. Huh. Uh, where is a new mailbox go to? Uh, attachments. Here we go. In mail app, attachments. So edit attachments include original attachments in reply oh isn't that sexy oh I so now like you don't that. have to holler at me every time i don't include it because well, i still do default, but it won't happen right because the default behavior of mail which i can understand is to just uh, well what well, it does wait, if, wait, if nobody, now you say you can understand because last week you were railing on about it and i'm going to call you out on that great call me out okay good i can't i can't hear you la, la, la. <laughs> But no, I, uh, but, but no, it, it was, it was great that someone came to the rescue because to me, that was just a stupid feature. Why? Well, on the one hand, I can understand why you would not want to do that by default, because if you got large images, then that's taking up space. On the sure. other hand, yeah, I was just scratching my head. How do I get around this and, you know, make Dave happy and that he doesn't, because before I had to manually, right. it, it was just, it was a kludge. And that's I'm like, what oh, I always on, do. This I is, drag him in. Oh, this is so much better. All right. Now, unfortunately, so here, so can I, uh, yeah, so now to answer the question. All right. Yes. Now here's the bad news though, is that the images that were included. Now, the thing is when you include an image, uh, so I think Michael chose a, uh, when you include an image, there is, I believe in the lower right hand corner in mail app, it indicates the size of the image. And unfortunately he included one that's, that was pretty tiny. Right. Right. But I was able uh, using, uh, uh, just, looking at this i was able to discern what the problem is so number one so so the issue here is that he says he can't send mail now, now to be clear here imap is a method for the most part of retrieving mail not sending it that's right sending whether you're using pop or imap which are both incoming though imap is a is a little more sophisticated smtp is what you use to send things and i noticed this because on the screen that he showed which um and let me look over my reply here. Yeah. All right. SMTP. Uh, all right. So the thing is, in one of the, uh, so if you go to the account settings, one of the screens that you look at will show you your outgoing mail server. And in his case, it showed outgoing mail server in the SMTP server, and it showed a server and in parentheses, as far as I can tell, what it said is offline. Uh-oh. That's, that's right. Yeah. All right. So what you want to do is when you um, click on your account and you see the SMT or the outgoing mail server, so what you want to do is click on 
the the list of SMTP servers, or it's going to be a, a pull down list, and then you want to say edit SMTP server list. Then it's going to show you each one. And actually, this happened to me. I think after I upgraded to iCloud, is that I used the connection manager, and I noticed one of my outgoing servers. All of a sudden, I got a little red dot, and it said something's wrong with this. You better check it out. Um, my guess is what's happening is that um, well, there are a few things you can change in the in in the screen. So one is. In the advanced section, you can define the ports that are used, though I would say that that probably has not changed, though, though they may have. Um, by default, I think mail goes to 25 and, and a couple of others, 4-something and 5-something. Um, I don't think that changed. Uh, SSL is another setting, but then here's the thing, and this is where I think it, it, it uh, the, the, the setting got unset, and I had to set this, is uh, the authentication method. A lot of, a lot of SMTP servers will want uh, there's an option to present credentials like a username and password before it's going to let you send mail. Otherwise, it's going to say no. And I think that's what happened in this case because I had to do this after I migrated to iCloud is I had to reset the authentication to my SMTP server for uh, uh, MobileMe. Or, or it's still, I think it's still me.com. It's still the, the, the same name, but for some reason, it all of a sudden said authentication, none. And so the server said, no, I'm not going to let you send mail through me. You, right. you got to tell me who you are and give me your credentials. So... I suspect that's what happened. It happened to me, and I think it's happened to a lot of other people. Yeah. So, so one, the way to identify it is go to Connection Doctor. Um, but I think the fact that it shows his as offline <laughs> indicates that it had a problem. So it 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 said, "I'm going to shut this down." Cool. <clears throat> got that? I did got it. It's awesome. Clear? I think I did. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's let's jump to uh, to some of these iCloud and iOS uh, questions because we've, man, we've had a lot of them. And uh, and so we'll start here with with Rick. He says, I'm looking for advice on setting up Apple IDs on iOS five. And of course, my iPhone 4S. I currently have two Apple IDs, one that I use for iTunes purchases and another that I use for my mobile me account. My wife and I both have iPhones and iPads. Currently, we both use the two Apple IDs. We share some calendars, the address book and find my iPhone on mobile me, but not email. We. Uh, with the com with the conversion to iCloud and the introduction of iMessage and iCloud's backup space, should we continue using the same setup? Should my wife have her own iCloud Apple ID for iMessage, but then we can still share some of the calendars and the address book or just an additional Apple ID for iMessage and leave the rest alone? Any help to ease my confusion would be greatly appreciated. Okay. Uh I, yeah, this is going to get interesting because you're not alone, Rick. There's a lot of people, listeners here and, and, and of course elsewhere, uh, that have been sharing an entire mobile me account and it's worked just fine. Uh, that may work with iCloud, but there's a couple of reasons where you might not want it to. Uh, you mentioned one of them, and that is the space available on iCloud. Everybody uh, gets five gigs free. Now, mobile me subscribers get 25 gigs uh, for the first year. But then it's, you know, you got to pay for that. Um, so the five gigs is what's going to be used both for your backup space. If you're going to do online backups and also for your documents and other storage that are going to be automatically stored uh, to the iCloud from your iOS devices. So uh, sharing that may cause two problems. Number one, it may fill up your space. Number two, this, the documents and, and data that are stored in iCloud are stored per app. So if you have data in uh, an application and your wife has different data in that application, I don't know what's going to happen if you both choose to store that data in iCloud. Um, in best case, it would merge it together. Worst case, it would wipe one of you out versus the other. And, and I don't know what that magic answer is going to be. So I, I think you'd, you're, you're well served to have two uh, separate iCloud accounts for your for the iCloud portion. But. I would continue to use a common Apple ID, one single Apple ID shared amongst all your devices for all of your iTunes store purchases, because that's going to make your life a lot easier. And you can do that. Um, it's, you know, it's no problem at all. So I, I think, I think, I think that's the, that's the path I would recommend heading down. Um, if, if you're in a situation where you have that choice, any thoughts on that, John, before we, before we move on to other similar questions or I've been keeping it simple. I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to grok the whole iCloud thing. I mean, I migrated and I haven't explored all the features quite yet. Sure. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, 
Roland has three questions, and so we're going to answer them in in three turn. Wow. I know, but they're is good. that allowed? Is that allowed? Well, it is for for premium subscribers, oh. John. It totally okay. is. That's right. <laughs> uh, Roland writes. Okay, so with the birth of iMessage comes texts that are colored green SMS messages and blue messages that are iMessage. Uh, texts uh is there any way to control which kind of message you are sending it seems like my iphone defaults to iMessage text even though i select a phone number to text maybe it doesn't matter so here's how it works and john you and i experienced a little bit of this uh previously when you texted to someone's cell phone uh and by default by default and although i'll qualify that maybe we'll put an asterisk but near the default by default that's going to send an sms message unless the uh, iPhone that's going to send realizes by checking presumably with one of Apple's servers uh, that the phone that it is sending to is also an iOS five capable device, meaning it can do it via iMessage. And then magically it just sends via iMessage instead, which in theory is a good thing because it bypasses any SMS charges. Uh, most people, it seems, have unlimited SMS accounts, but I think that might change. And that's why the carriers presumably have been adding you know, things like, uh, you know, unlimited mobile to mobile calling is part of your unlimited, you know, text messaging plan, right, to keep that that revenue coming in. And, uh, and I'm with you is that I think the Apple servers are somehow involved because there's a few people that I know upgraded. Yep. But I don't think I had enough information in my address book. Because, yeah, there were definitely people that I knew upgraded iOS 5, but when I went to iMessage and selected them in my address book, it still said text message instead of iMessage. Well, it'll always um, say text message uh, until you send no. that first message. Right? Oh, no, 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 no. No, I had people who would immediately come up and say iMessage. Oh. Now, the thing was, for example, um, uh, Allison. So, for example, Allison, here's the problem. Well, I knew she upgraded, but then here was the thing. Right. is uh, For some bizarre reason, uh, Allison Sheridan of the uh, Nosilicast. Hi, Allison. Um I didn't have her cell phone number or her. Uh, I did have an email address, but I didn't have her uh, mobile me or iCloud. ID. Sure. Yeah. Once I got, I think, well, well, I got both of them. And once I got both of them, then when I went to the message, then it said iMessage. Right. So, right. So even though I knew she upgraded, there was not enough information in my address book for my phone to check. Uh, again, presumably with some Apple server to say, hey, is this person running this? Right. But if you had her cell phone number in there, it would have known immediately that she was iMessage capable. You know, that was the other. Now I have yeah. some people where I had their cell phone and it did. I had to get, I had to add their Apple ID to my address book in order for it to, to switch over. Huh? That I'm is still not, not entirely that's not, clear. That's not at all. For me, it, it's, no? it's okay. just okay. the number is all that it's taken, but it, but it's not, it only happens like for the, the initial um, instance of this, I have to go into the messages app and start typing and then uh, iMessage, you know, oh. it changes in the it, like the background of where you're going to type your message mm -hmm, mm -hmm. changes on the fly from text message to iMessage. And that's right, right. that's how you oh, know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So but there is no way like if I wanted to send you an SMS, I don't think I could. I, I, I haven't found a way to, to force it to send via uh, SMS. I think if if iMessage is capable, I it's capable. I mean, I guess I'd have to find a way to turn off data on my phone or I, I don't know. I don't know what the magic answer would be, but no, you can't, but I don't know that that's a bad thing. Roland. So that's uh that's number one. Now, number two, Roland asks, I've also used iCloud backup for my iPhone and my iPad with two backups. I'm already using three and a half gigs of space. I've backed up each device only once. What counts against my five gigs of storage and what doesn't? I was given 25 gigs for being a mobile me user, as we discussed. However, uh, I use mobile me for syncing contacts and calendars, not for the iDisk space. When the time is up and I go back to five gigs, I want to make sure I'm not exceeding my limits. How do I trim down to make sure I don't go over five gigs so quickly? And that's the trick. There's no real way to ensure that you're not going to use too much. Um, as it, right now, I believe, and, and there might be some third-party apps out there that support iCloud, but but for the most part, you know, the iCloud-capable apps are Apple's iWork apps. Uh, and but that's going to change, you know, as other apps start to use iCloud as their as their storage engine. It's just an automatic thing, and you're going to start pumping lots of data up there. Uh, you may decide that backing backing up 
the, here's the here's the one difference though. If you choose to back up to iCloud, it's going to take all the data, whether the app is iCloud capable or not, and back it up to iCloud, just like it would back up that data to your Mac. So so that is going to grab perhaps more than would normally just be synced via iCloud backups and document syncing are two different things. Uh, you can, of course, turn off document syncing entirely for iCloud, but that may not be something you want to do. You may actually want that benefit. So uh, so that that's going to be a, that's going to be an interesting thing. And uh, it would be nice to have more control. Individual app uh, developers can can, you know, perhaps give us c- controls about what what gets synced to iCloud and what doesn't. But but I, I from what I understand, that's not entirely um, controllable either. It's I think it's an all or nothing uh, sort of thing. One thing that's interesting, though, a little aside, as we've been talking about iCloud here, there is so and this gets very interesting. So I said that the iWork apps, Numbers, Pages and Keynote uh, will sync via iCloud. And but if you want to get that data, let's say you've got a a pages document that you've been editing on your iPad and now it's syncing to iCloud because you've enabled that and you have the latest version of the app on your iPad. Uh And you want to sync that to your Mac. Well, you have to go to iCloud.com and log in and download that file. But here's the secret. That file's already on your Mac. It's just that uh, Pages on your Mac doesn't yet know how to access it. And that file lives in your home folder, in your library folder, in a folder called Mobile Documents. And that folder based on my limited testing acts a lot like Dropbox. You can manually put stuff in there and have it synced to your other Macs. Now, I don't know if it's advisable to do that because, you know, Apple, I have no idea how they're managing this. They might at some point, you know, wipe things out that, that, uh, that they, they believe shouldn't be there. Uh, but, uh, but it does work. And it's a very interesting little thing. And you'll, if you dig in, you'll see if you have a pages document on your iPad, it's on your Mac. Uh, and the same is true for keynote and, and numbers, but but they're in a weird format, and based on my limited testing, I couldn't pull those out. So so it gets a little it gets interesting, John. I don't know if you've played with that yet, but uh, not yeah. yet. I mean, I actually came across the checkboxes because yep. you have to, and actually they were not initially uh, enabled. Maybe I chose this when I uh, did the upgrade. Mm-hmm. But if you go to the iCloud uh, system preference, right. So I had mail and notes, contacts, calendars, bookmarks. Uh, I think those were checked. Photo stream, documents and data and back to my Mac were not. So I checked those. And then this is the one that's had me scratching my head. But then after uh, I thought for a moment, uh, I didn't scratch my head anymore. Um, Find my Mac was disabled. Right. And it said recovery partition required. And I'm like, well, what? Huh? Oh, well, that's because I migrated to the SSD and it didn't co- I didn't copy my. Now, were migration. you able to, to recreate that uh, that recovery partition somehow? I don't know if I want to. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, no, the thing is, no. So my uh, so before uh, when I got the SSD, I did a carbon copy cloner, but I just cloned my main partition. Sure. So I upgraded, you know, on my rotational drive to Lion. And then I copied it to the SSD and that drive is still sitting around somewhere, but I didn't say migrate the recovery partition. Yeah. So why? Yeah. You know, I was wondering because, you know, when everybody was saying, oh, by the way, there's a recovery partition update. And I'm like, why am I not getting this? And all of a sudden I realized, well, that's because I didn't copy it over. Duh. And then I only copied over a single partition. I don't know if I want to risk creating a new partition on this drive and bringing over the recovery partition. Huh? I mean, what, what would the, what's the risk? Well, that would destroy everything. Well, oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) Oh yes. I got that. So, but, but is there a way to create that recovery partition? I mean, can you go and I mean, is there something you can do to create that? Right. Is there, is there some trick? Well, short of using something like drive genius or possibly disutility, because disutility does have the ability um, under the right conditions to create a new, uh, to shrink a partition and create another one. Last I checked, I was able to do this, but the, the data has to be set up right. And I, I suspect with the SSD that may, well, you know, that may, uh, maybe, maybe I will be able to, I guess if I set aside enough space, then I guess I could copy the recovery partition 
from my old drive to the new drive. Well, remember, the recovery partition is created on the fly when you upgrade from Snow Leopard to Lions. Right. So the whole resizing and fitting it in and all that stuff, that let's, let's presume that that's doable at any point in time, right? So the real question is, you know, how would you create that? I know last week when 1072 came out, uh, or two, maybe it was two weeks ago, uh, there was a Lion recovery update out as well. And yes. it's a huge download it's 450 megabytes which is effectively you know it's going to have all the data in it for that partition oh. can you run this if you don't have it and force it to put one on there that would uh, that would be my question for you and uh and so i will i will uh, make sure you have this link not only to put in the show notes but uh but to test because that's a beautiful thing and again what's the worst that could happen <laughs> i destroy everything Uh, yeah, no, I saw that update. And, and yeah, again, I was scratching my head until I realized that my drive didn't have this because I'm like, everybody says they're getting this. I, I just got the 1072 update. Why didn't I get this line recovery update? Because I don't have the, the, the I think it's smart enough to say, duh, dude, you don't have this recovery partition. So I'm not going to update it for you. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So no, I'll yeah. experiment. Yeah. But, but yeah, I have to. So you said, so what? So it's a, so if I make a gigabyte partition and then copy it over from the old drive then this update should work in theory well yeah yeah but don't make the partition oh oh i see what you're saying if you want to do it manually yeah 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 i think it's only i think it's less than a gig i think it's yeah six or seven hundred megs right because again the it it didn't create it on the ssd if it doesn't see it it's not going to update it so correct i just find it interesting Uh, again sorry we did the tangent here my fault again (laughs) but no it's weird that find my mac is dependent upon that because I'm looking again right now and it's grayed out and it says find my Mac recovery partition required. And then there's a more button. Yeah. Okay. And when I click on the more button, it says find my Mac requires a recovery partition. Some configurations such as a software or hardware raid do not support a recovery partition and can't be used with find my Mac. Even more interesting. What's going on out there? I don't know. You got, is it, I think they're coming to get you, John. No, no, no. It's the, uh, no, it's the fire department. Okay. All right. Let's uh, let's play Andrew's little comment here because this is a nice little tip. And g'day, John, and g'day, Dave. It's Andrew here in San Francisco. Uh, Dave was listening to MacGeekGab359 uh, of the 17th of October last Monday, and you uh, were elated at the end when you spoke of the airport utility for iPad and iPhone now being available. I shared the same view. My issue was this, when I used to travel uh, to hotels, you know, sometimes to negotiate the hotel system with Airport Express, sometimes the hotel would allow you to set up a range of IP addresses so you could distribute the signal uh, to your Mac, to your iPad, to your iPhone, whereas other hotels would only allow you to have one device connected and thus you had to have the Airport Express off and in bridge mode. Um, And you could change that on a Mac with the um, airport utility in internet, then internet connection. You could choose share a public IP address, distribute a range of IP addresses, or off in bridge mode. That's what I was looking for in the airport um, utility for iOS, but to my disappointment, <clears throat> excuse me, it wasn't there. So I posted a comment on an Apple discussion board, and this very nice man replied that you can do it, but it's just not as clear as it is in the airport utility for Mac. And he tells me that the exact same options uh, do appear in the airport utility app, and they can be mimicked using the NAT and DHCP options. And he gives the formulas as follows. To share a public IP address, you um, enable both NAT and DHCP. To distribute a range of IP addresses, you have NAT disabled and DHCP enabled. And to have it off in bridge mode, you have both NAT and DHCP disabled. So uh, that's what uh, I've learned uh, through all this. So it can be done. It's just not as easy as it is on the Mac, but uh, at least it's better than nothing. And perhaps Apple will uh, make it a whole lot easier in the future. That's it for now. Don't get caught. See ya. Thanks, Andrew. That's awesome. That's uh, that's very helpful to know. Uh, okay, so now, uh, sort of in a a pre iCloud uh, or a, a not related to iCloud question, but uh, Doug writes in a recent show. You mentioned that info in an iPad iPhone app can be lost if deleted, which just happened to me. Uh, my question is: If you back your iPhone up, would that info still be in the backup? 
Uh, for example, I use Motion 10 or Motion X GPS. Uh, and when I upgraded my iPhone, the app uh, installed from iTunes to the new phone came over, but I didn't have my waypoints. waypoints. This really uh, was a problem because I had three years of my favorite fishing spots lost. Any ideas? Yeah. So you can, you could, you have two choices here. Number one is the Apple way, which is to restore everything, but that's probably not what you want because then that restores all the other data for all your other apps. Uh, and you might not want that. So you can use, uh, two things. Uh, it, one, one thing would be to check a, a piece of software called iPhone backup extractor, which is from super crazy awesome dot com but it also works with ipads and, and anything else yeah michael johnston told me about this years ago but it works it, it scours through your uh iphone backups you just pointed at your mobile backups folder and uh which is i think normally in home library i think uh but if you've moved it somewhere else then that's where it's going to be but uh but you pointed at that and then it comes up and it shows you a big list of all your apps and uh, and you come and find the one that you want and say extract and it'll save the data out on your hard drive. That's step one. So now you've got the data. Now you got to put it back in. Number two is I use something called phone view from Ecamm networks. E-C-A-M-M is dot uh, com is the URL. It's tw the, 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 the iPhone backup extractor is free. This this phone view is, I think, 20 bucks. Uh, and you can use that to put the data back in. It lets you go through. And uh, and essentially navigate every app on on the iPhone or in, in iOS has its own little folder structure. And this is that sandbox that you hear people talk about. And you can actually see that sandbox with phone view uh, for each app. Each app has its own documents folder, its own library folder, its own temp folder. Some of them have their own caches folders if they need that. But that's not shared from app to app. It's just each app has its own thing. So you're going to need to experiment a little bit. And look and, and just you can you, you'll figure out pretty quick which documents are the ones that you want to put back into place. And then you just drag them in. You know, you find your app in phone view and you find the backup that was extracted out to your hard drive and you, you drag the files in. Now, a couple of uh, instructions. I would do this after restarting your iPhone. Uh, and that way you are certain that the app that you're about to restore into is not actively running. You could also do it by double uh, was it double tapping on the uh Sorry, holding. Yeah. How, how does that work again? I do it so many times I can't think about it. So you double tap on once the phone's uh, unlocked to get the, the list of apps up and then you hold down and to get it into jiggly jiggly. I'm scared mode. Uh, what did you call that, John? Fear, fear for your <laughs> life mode. And and then hit the please don't kill. Me. Please don't kill me. Right. And then you hit the minus uh, the little minus thing and delete the app uh, that doesn't actually delete it. That just shuts it down. Uh, but restarting your phone will do that too. And to restart the phone, if you've never done that is you have to turn it off and on, you hold down the button at the top. Uh, you wait until the little slider appears. You slide it to power off. You let it power off and then you use that same button to turn it back on. So you do that and then, uh, and then launch the app once it's put that stuff out there and, and you should be good to go. I've done this with a couple of things and, and it's a, uh, it's a handy little trick. So, so there you go. Are we ready for Gary's question, John, which also involves that double tapping that button? There's one other utility. Oh, go. And yeah. they changed the name. So, no, I, I reviewed this a while ago. It used to be called iPhone Explorer. Now it's called iExplorer. But there's a utility that lets you view um, many of the files that are on your iPhone. Cool. And uh, download them to your Mac if you want to. So uh, kind of primitive, but if you have certain apps that have data that you think is important, uh, that this may be a, a way to, you know, have a backup of a backup. Huh. Cool. But moving right. on. Yes. Moving on. Who's next? What's next? Uh, so I believe Gary's question is next. He might, oh, he might, he yes. might even tuck two questions in on this too. Hey guys, it's Gary Belts from Indiana PA, uh, premium user, longtime listener. Um, just successfully upgraded my iPad and my iPhone 4 to iOS 5 and uh, have a couple of questions. One, when I upgraded to iOS 5, I noticed that uh, my camera lock thing is not working like advertised. In other words, 
I haven't seen the prompt that I can activate the camera with the lock screen activated. And to, another question altogether is on my Mac, I've been using Firefox since Safari seems to have trouble, even though I just upgraded to Lion 10.7.2. I don't want to take any chances, but the biggest thing I'm missing is the pinch to zoom. Do you know of any extensions or any other ways to get that to work on something other than an Apple-only app? Keep up the good work, and look forward to hearing you on the next show. Later. All right. Thanks, Gary. Okay, so, yeah, this is interesting. Uh, and I've had a lot of people ask me about this, getting the camera. So iOS 5, as Gary mentioned, allows you to get right to the camera, right from the lock screen, uh, so that you don't have to dig through and find the app and all that stuff. And it really helps. It makes things go a lot faster. But as you'll see, you don't see the camera button on the lock screen unless you double tap the home button. So you double tap that home button and then the camera button appears. The lock, the unlock slider gets a little smaller and the camera appears right next to it. I don't know why it's this way. I would prefer it to just be there all the time. But uh, but it's you know, it's the same way you get up the uh, the iPod shuffle or shuttle controls. You know, you can play and pause the iPod from the lock screen, too. So uh, so that that's how that's done. And it's great. It works really well. You hit the camera button and bam, you're in the camera. Uh, it, and, you know, it's a handy little shortcut. So my, go, John. My only take on this is this no doubt is going to lead to shenanigans. Oh, I mean, yeah. somebody leaves their iOS yeah. five device sitting around and they leave for a moment and somebody grabs it. Double taps, gets the camera, and takes, uh, let's just say, an inappropriate or, or, or a surprising photograph. Right. And then all of a sudden. Now, the thing is, I did notice this because, yeah, I, I, at first I was like, how do I get to this? Um, it, it does protect you in that, although it brings up the camera app, if you try to click on the photo, uh, on the roll, on the photo uh, roll. Yeah, it won't show it to you. It will not. It'll say, sorry, this device is protected. So at least they thought, because I, at first when I saw that, when I saw that, oh, wow, look, there's the icon that you normally click on and you see the li all, all the photos on the device. At least they were smart enough not to, to open that up. But I still, uh, I question the wisdom of having this feature. Maybe having it be somewhat of, of an obscure uh, thing is probably a good thing. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so not anybody can just walk along and pick up your phone and take pictures with it. Yeah, that's true. So. And you know, if you're using what's it called? Photo stream or photo sync, um, it, that will, oh. uh, it, you can't delete stuff from, from that. What, what do they call it? Why can't I think of the name of it? Yeah. Photo stream. You're photo right. stream. Thank I you. Photo stream. Yeah. Well, not, well, you can, I think you can, you can whack the whole thing, but I, I don't right. think at this point, some of the complaints that I've seen is that they don't offer, a very good level of granularity as far as what photos get synced in that it's, I think it's per app. And if it's, it's everything. Anything and if it's in yeah. an app, then everything in that app gets synced. Cause I know they upgraded, um, you know, the most recent iPhoto and aperture updates now have, uh, photo sync support. Right. right. But yeah. I think it's all or nothing, which, uh, yeah, I, I think they, they got to fix that because I mean, even now I think, you know, most, uh, digital cameras have a way to, uh, or at least we talked about this, the iFi card, you can, set what photos get uploaded to the cloud and what right, don't. Right. So Apple has to do that. It's a good first step, but yeah. 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 So very interesting. Very interesting. All right. We've got a, uh, we've got a couple of cool things found to discuss here. Uh, we will do two of them. I think we have, uh, well, we really, we're kind of out of time, but that's okay. We'll, we'll talk about, we'll talk about them anyway. Uh, because, because it's cool stuff and that's what we're here for. And we're already here. So why not? Uh, Paul writes in and he said, I wanted to let you know about an app called Lion Tweaks. It is at uh, where was the ifredrick, F-R-E-D-R-I-K dot com. And uh, one of the things that it does is it allows you to either enable airdrop on old hardware with just a click of a button or show the user library folder. It's awesome, this thing. And it's free and uh, you can donate, which was cool. Um but uh, but you can change uh, you can turn uh, spelling correction on or off. You can turn the reading list on or off. Uh, there's a couple of animations you can disable. Again, you can disable AirDrop on older hardware. Very very cool stuff. And it's just it's all right there. This is all stuff that you could look up and figure out how to do from the command line. But uh, but why bother when you can just launch an app that that allows you to press a button to turn it on or off. So yeah, check it out. Lion tweaks for free. Can't beat it. Uh, and then Greg 
writes, uh, and Greg, of course, is is full of great stuff for tool, cool stuff found. But Box.net, which is a service similar to, to uh, Dropbox or, you know, it's one of these cloud storage services is probably the best way to describe it quickly, uh, is offering 50 gigabytes of free storage for the life of your account. Uh, to any iOS owner. So if you have an iPhone or an iPad, you have to download the box.net account and either log into or create an account from there. And instantly they will give you 50 gigs of storage for you to use. So that's a nice little way. That's crazy. I know. Actually, awesome. I did that. Yeah, of course you did. We all well, did. I'm, well, yeah. I'm logged. And, and just for yucks here, I just, uh, I logged in uh, from my Mac and uh, I can see. Yeah. My account. So I think the thing is you have to initiate it from a iDevice app. Yeah, it's the first time you, you can the first time you see the account on the iDevice app, it'll say, hey, you're on an iDevice. Uh, we're about to give you extra storage. Enjoy. Yeah. 50 gigs. That's that's good. And, and then from that point, you can access it from from right. a web browser or an iDevice. That's right. right. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff, man. That's good. Good stuff. So thanks for uh Thanks for alerting us to that. And, uh, and thanks, everyone. Again, uh, first of all, uh, thanks for being subscribed. Thanks for sending in all your great questions and, uh, and your tips and your cool stuff found. We really appreciate it. And uh, if you want to send in more or if you're someone who hasn't sent in uh, but want to know how, we're here to tell you. Feedback. Oh, no, not. Ah! <laughs> Premium at MacGeekCab.com. We're going to have to do the whole show you. over again. You blew it. Wipe, wipe it clean. That's right. Well, no. All right. So, no, I concur. It is premium just for you at MacGeekGap.com. No, yes. not premium at MacGeekGap.com. That's right. Or you can call 206-666-GEEK, which, John, is 206-666-GEEK. <laughs> Thanks. 4335. You can uh, Skype us to MacGeekGab. You can find us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. Yeah. And Twitter. John, tell him about Twitter. He is Dave Hamilton. I am John F. Braun. Pilot Pete. It's Pilot Pete. If you want news about the podcast, it's MacGeekGab. And, of course, there's also Mac Observer, all at twitter.com. Awesome. All right. Thanks to Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast for all his hard work in getting this converted to AAC for you. And of course, we'd like to thank the folks at Cashfly for providing all the bandwidth for this and everything that we do with relation to the podcast. But really, I want to thank all of you again. It is a great thing to do what we do here. And we appreciate that we get to do it. great week and whatever you do don't get caught